your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Ephesians. I'm going to speak from a well-known passage. I think you'll be very familiar with it. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. Let me read it for you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is God's word. There are three fronts. It's a military text. You can gather that quite obviously. Three fronts, and I want to talk about them tonight and try to connect them, that's all. First one is life is war. May I state very clearly, and I hope you'll grab this tonight, there is no such thing as a warfare time of life and a non-warfare time of life. All of life is war. Let me say it again. All of life is war. We are always at war. But I'm not talking about the kind of war that's taking place between the Russians and Ukraine or between Israel and Hamas. I would consider, contrasted with biblical spiritual warfare, that those wars are just shadow wars of the greatest war that's taking place. To use the Apostle Paul's words, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not primarily a physical battle, but in contrast, and he uses the most strong adversative that you can speak in the original language, he says, it's not against those things, but it's against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. See, the, real, the greatest war, the most important war that's being fought that gets very little attention, in fact, next to nothing in our news, is a spiritual warfare. Tonight is not going to be a discourse on what true spiritual warfare is, not that it's not needed because... There's a lot of error being taught from pulpits and around our country about what spiritual warfare really is. That would be a valuable uh, exercise tonight, but we're not going to do that. Rather, I would like you to consider the few minutes I have to speak to you as a spiritual reveille call. As if the Bible is a bugle and I'm blowing it, trying to wake up, in one sense, the soldiers of God's army about the war that we are in, D-A-I-L. Why? That's the first front. Life is war. And you'll see it in our text at the opening. 
Missions is war. So I not only speak to you as an audience, but I speak to Nathan and Margie tonight. And you know this far better than I do. Missions is war. We are in a fight for the souls of people from all the nations. Uh, We are not only having a war against things, and there's a little word against used six times, six times in our text. So we're fighting against things. We are. The devil's methodologies, all kinds of schemes and temptations and things, the attacks of the wicked one. It's all there against many things. But we are also, and we cannot forget, in our battle against the evil one and the evil day, we cannot forget that we are battling four things. The purpose clause that is used three times. Two of the three of them have to do with we are fighting so that we can give the gospel to people. See, our fight as soldiers of the cross is not only has personal ramifications, because life is war, but it has global ramifications, because missions is war. And in that sense, we tonight as a church, and you and I as Christian individuals, we are engaged in world war, world war. It's that important. Front number one, life is war. Front number two, missions is war. Front number three, Prayer is war. David was a prayer warrior. I mean, sorry, Daniel was a prayer warrior. Just read Daniel 10 sometimes and see that it took the angel just three weeks to get to him to give a message from God because of the warfare that was taking place. Jesus was a prayer warrior as he bent down in Gethsemane and, as it were, sweat drops of blood coming down as he was agonizing. And that's the word, an athletic word, to fight, to struggle against. Jesus was a prayer warrior. He knew exactly what it was all about. Paul was a prayer warrior. You can see, just read this book, Ephesians, and see how much prayer Paul was in every day. See, all of these prayer warriors, and I hope the ones at Faith Baptist Church can join the company and know this. They all knew this, that, see, the war is fought first privately, not publicly. It's to be who you are when no one's looking It's to be on mission when no one else is applauding you taking a video or any pictures. See, it's about what you are privately, not publicly. They also knew this. They knew that to stand up for Jesus, that you have to first kneel down to Jesus. And see, that's what these men and and, and many of the women in Scripture knew. But I'm afraid today, and thus the wake-up call, that we have perhaps forgotten some of these basic lessons. And at times, some of God's people appear to be weekend warriors. I looked up the definition. It means someone who occasionally participates. Occasionally. Can I tell you this? We don't occasionally participate in this war. We're in it 24-7-365. Tonight, my aim is, in the passage, is to connect all three of them together. So let me give it a shot. Ephesians, you know this, is one of the four prison epistles. So Paul himself knew firsthand, as he writes from a Roman prison cell, that life and missions is war. Strangely enough, and I want to show you this because you might wonder, do I have that kind of mentality? What mentality? 
He does not call himself ever in any of his epistles that he was in prison. He never says that I am a prisoner of Rome or a prisoner of Caesar. But in Ephesians 3.1 and Ephesians 4.1, he does say this, that I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says it twice. Why? Because he saw that the real battle that he was fighting and what he was in prison for was not a physical one. It wasn't against flesh and blood, Rome and Caesar and all that went with it so much as it was a spiritual one and so he was a prisoner doing the will on mission in life with the Lord Jesus Christ and he was although the war had already been won see there were still conflicts and there were still skirmishes taking place all throughout the known world at that time people needed the Lord and so Paul gets into it and tells us if we are going to participate in the battle if we are going to give our life and as we understand life is war and missions is war and prayer is war there is going to be one main ingredient that we need along the way and I think this passage is rich with the thought of it and I want to call it this deep dependence Deep dependence. There are numerous, and you can read them for yourselves. We read the text. Maybe you picked up on them. But he uses throughout this text and throughout the book words of power. He uses the word power, might, strong, strength, all throughout the letter. In fact, the book can be measured off this way. In 119 and 610 has almost identical Greek phraseology. And it goes like this. Working of his great might, verse 19, chapter 1. In the strength of his might, chapter 6 and verse 10. And in between those identical phrases, you could say, this is how God fights the war through us. Our life is war, our mission is war, prayer is war, and this is the kind of power we need. But here's the thing, it's not the kind of power that you would think. It's not the power that our world or flesh and blood really applauds or accepts or thinks is normal. It's a different kind of power. Why? Because it's a different kind of war. And so in our text in 118 and 19, he says he prays for them that God would give them spiritual eyes that they would know what this power is all about. I'm afraid that often God's people at times, we do not fight the war properly because we don't know anything about the power that it takes. Paul speaks in his text and says this about how he prays. Most of the time, I'll give you an example of what I mean by we don't know the power. Most of what, listen, and I don't want to make anyone upset or offend anybody, but when you hear people pray by and large, you hear them pray mostly, mainly, and sometimes only. For physical needs. If you read the Apostle Paul's prayers in the entire New Testament, and I have, there is only one time that even comes close to him praying for someone physically. And he's really asking other people to do it. All of his prayers are for people spiritually. Most of the time that Paul prays and talks about praying for people, it is praying for them before crisis, not in it. He spends a ton of his time praying for people's spiritual needs, not their physical needs, not because it doesn't matter and not because we shouldn't, but because it is a framework of mind. 
Because when you have the mindset that you are in a spiritual battle every day for the souls of people and even God's people, you will begin to think about what matters most and prioritize your prayer differently. Let me give you an example. In the context, you might read Ephesians and think, why does he put this section about spiritual warfare at the end of the book? Why does it follow the, pra- the, pr- the paragraphs preceding it? Well, here's what I would tell you, and I'm going to give a little advice. Nathan and, Ar- and, and Margie know this, but it's good for all of us. The f- preceding context to our text is about children, marriage, families. Can I tell you this? Listen. You will not be, as a family, engaged in the most important part of the spiritual battle and the mission involved in it if you are not winning the war in your house. See, if dads cannot love their wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church, how will you love lost people that are far worse? How will you as a wife be able to submit and follow Jesus in the places of darkness to give the gospel if you cannot at home submit to your own husband? And so the passage says, children, obey your parents. And how can our young people ever think that they would go on a mission trip and be on a mission with God if they can't even abide the authority of their own parents? You see, that's where the spiritual warfare really is all about. Husbands and wives, teenagers, young people, see, we are in a battle every day. And what you will do for God in the future will determine how you live for God today, right where you are as moms, dads, and children. See, the battle for our family precedes the battle for our faith. And so he says, in light of that, here's my instructions to you. Our text says, finally... It's connected to the, what was before. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Did you see the whole text? We can't win any battles in our marriage, in our family, against the devil, in this world, witnessing evangelism, missions, unless we have his power, not ours. Be strong in the Lord. And it's awesome how he puts it together. In the Lord begins the text In the spirit ends the text, and in between he says twice, armor of God. Jesus, God, the spirit, you know how much power we need? We need the power of all the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy. We see, we need all of God's power all the time. That's what he's telling us, and that's how we go into this fight. Be strong in the Lord. It almost echoes a little bit of Joshua. Remember, be strong and courageous. It's almost like we're in a new conquest, not a Canaan conquest, but a conquest of souls and people in our lives. And here's the admonition that Joshua heard. And now in another military context, he says to all of us in the new covenant, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know what that means? Deep dependence. It means telling ourselves every day, I will not be the husband that God wants me to be unless I have his power. I cannot be the wife, I cannot be the son or the daughter unless I have God's power. We stand for Jesus by the power of God. And so he tells us this with little words to hint and remind us, put on the armor of God. Take up 
the armor of God. You know why? Because everything you need to win every day and every circumstance in this battle is outside of you. You have to take it on. You have to put it on. It's not yours. God's giving you his armor. It is the divine armor of God. Read Isaiah sometime. All the pieces of the armor, and there are six of them, all but one of them are the very armor that God puts on in the book of Isaiah himself as he fought at times against Israel's armies and even against Israel themselves. But the armor of God is what he's given. He is giving us his armor. You know why? Because we need it. We need it. That is so hard for us to get. We are not good, are we? We are not good at being dependent. Kylie is about, not two yet, a little before yet. And I remember when she first said this, my wife was trying to feed her. She goes, I do. I do. And it became, I can do it. You know why? Because the very earliest ages, we want to know this. We are independent. Don't need your help, Mimi, she's saying, right? And so we get a little older and we say it more clearly and we put other people on the offensive for thinking that we need their help. I'm not helpless, you know, as if sometimes we don't need anybody's help. We are not good. We are slow, slow to show and share any weakness that we might have. We think, mistakenly, we think that we have the power all on our own, but we don't. I love the progressions of the song in our hymn book. See if this isn't true for all of us. We need the Lord day by day. We sing that song. And then a little later, I need thee every hour. And then the last one, moment by moment. You know what they are? It's a progression of understanding of dependence. Yeah, we need him daily, but we need him hourly. But truthfully, we need him every moment. See, that's when you know you got it. That's when you're understanding what spiritual warfare is about. It's about deep dependence, that I really can't go without him. So let me say it to you. We can't defeat the devil solo. And here's the problem, though. We know that theoretically, intellectually, but then the question is, why are there so many believers who can go days, weeks, months longer and not read their Bible? You know what it is? It's not a busy schedule. It's not that you really don't understand it. It's not that you haven't taken the time, oh, I need to be more disciplined. Or, you know what it is? You're too powerful. You don't understand how powerless you really are. Why is it that we don't pray? Why does it have to be the New Year's resolution every year that we need to pray more? Because every year we forget the lesson of how powerless we really are. Why is it that people show up on Sunday morning, but not nearly as many people on Sunday night or Wednesday night? You know why? Because we don't realize how much we need God and we need each other. Try it sometime. Go like this. Take a breath and realize this. You can't do that not even one more time, unless God says so. Take your pulse. Listen to your heartbeat. Do you know that it won't continue unless he gives you the ability to do it? That's what he's saying to us. See, we are powerless. Be strong in the Lord. You know, when the hurricane and all that came, New Jersey's strong. Everybody has that, right? The earthquake... Be strong. That's our message of our culture. But here's what God says. Not your strength, my strength. Not your armor, my armor. Not your power, my power. You know why? Because you don't have the power. 
and he go, he's going to get really definite. Here, here's what it says. And, and three or four times in our text, he says, that you may be able. One of the times he says that you may be able to stand. The other times he says that you may be able to withstand. And he uses these, you, and the word able is the word power. It's the word translated possible or with the prefix impossible. Here's what he's saying. It is impossible for you to conquer the devil for you to be the spouse in, the, in your house the way it ought to be, it's impossible for you to live on mission. It's impossible to you unless you have my power. It is a deep dependence that we need. When I was a kid, we sang the little song. Do you remember? He's able. There needs to be written a sequel. I'm unable. We love to sing he's able, but the conflicts of that is what? He, I'm unable, it's not what we like to think of. But if we believe the scripture on it, if we believe the spirit, you know what we would do? We would never have to be told to read the Bible, pray, or be in church. You know why? Because it communicates. We would communicate it. We would communicate it all the time. Every time I come to church, you know what we're saying? I need you. I don't come to church because it's my duty or because it makes me spiritual or even because I'm the pastor. I come to church because I need to. Do you? I read my Bible every day. No one forces me. No one's looking over my shoulder. I get on my knees and pray. Why? I'm better than no. I need to. I, need, I, I say to God, when every time I get on my knees, I need you. I put his armor on. I need you. I need you. My mom died from complications of Alzheimer's. And it started out right on her 70th birthday almost. She couldn't remember things, and my sister had come in, and five minutes later she told my, my other sister that her sister was here. And then she told me her sister was here, and then three or four other people. She just couldn't remember all the things that had just happened, and it deteriorated and got worse. And I remember the day that my dad called me and said, that my mom couldn't feed herself anymore, so he was starting to do it. And that he realized that she didn't know how to button her shirt anymore and get clothes on or go to the bathroom or anything. And I talked to my dad, and he said it was hard because my mom was completely dependent on him. And I thought about that, and I said, oh, that's what Paul's talking about. No ability can't do it on my own. Not the simple, most mundane, everyday things I've done a million times. I can't do it. Not without him. Paul even goes so far as he ends the text to twice use the word boldness. Do you know that you can't even inside do enough on your own? He says, you know what? You'll chicken out every time. You will succumb to cowardice and fear if you don't have me, that's why he says, pray for me, pray for me, that I might have boldness, see. Well, that's what it's all about. And all of this happens on the inside in the invisible world where no one sees. In fact, Paul prays for that in Ephesians 3.16 when he says, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, inside of you. Our world is all about image, outside, muscularity, beautiful, all of the things that you have. And our world could 
not exaggerating, could almost care less about what you are on the inside. Flip it over and reverse it completely, and you'll find what the Bible says. It's God and his armor and his power and his ability. That's four times it says, stand, 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 stand. Do you wonder why you don't speak up like you should? Do you wonder why your kids in the public schools perhaps succumb to temptations, acceptance, fitting in, being popular, wear the clothes they do, listen to the music? You know why? We don't have the power to stand because every day we're not seeking him. We're not depending on him for those things. There are six pieces of armor. We're going to take 10 minutes on each one. No, I'm just kidding. Only one. Just a thought, really, about one. The flaming arrows of the wicked one. It's the only one personally associated with the devil himself. I thought it was worth mentioning. The flaming darts, arrows of the wicked, which means this. He's shooting at you from a distance. Oh, it's not that he's looking right over your shoulder. It's not that he's standing right next to you. Oh, see, sometimes he's up close because the sword that he talks about in the armor is an 18-inch sword. That was for close hand-to-hand combat. So there is fighting up close hand-to-hand with evil. And sometimes that's how it works. But sometimes it's at a distance. See, he's shooting at you through others, through television, through books, through all kinds of different things. And the idea of the whole imagery is that He's targeting believers. Do you see that? Do you see that? Every day you have a bullseye on your back. And so do your kids. Do you know that? See, if you believe that you had a bullseye on your back and Satan shoots flaming arrows every day, would you just skip over prayer? Would you just flaunt church? Would you? Who does that? The idea is you're trying not to be severely wounded. The devil is strategizing with his demon cohorts to identify effective ways to cause you and I to sin. He did it to Jesus by offering the kingdoms without a cross. He did it to Job by bringing illness and suffering in his life. He did it with tempting Ananias and Sapphira to lie for personal gain. He afflicts people. He does all kinds of things. You know why? Because he has an arsenal of flaming arrows. And he's shooting against you and your marriage and your kids and our missionaries and our pastors and our deacons every day. That's why he says, put on the whole armor of God. You see, it's the same thing. You don't just need a piece or two. You don't need it occasionally. Put on the whole armor of God. You see, it's dependence. You need all of it every day. Where does the power for that come from? And that's where I close. You can't stand up for Jesus by the power of God until you stand before Jesus in the power of God. Verse 18, can I just say grammatically, look at it with me. 
praying. He mentions all six pieces of the armor, and the next verse does not give prayer as the seventh piece. It is a participle, and that means this. He's explaining how you put on the armor. How do you get God's power? How do you put it on? How does it become yours every day so that you can take the shield of faith And they used to put animal skin on the outside of it so that when the arrows came and they were flaming, they would hit the shield and they would skid off and not be able to stick. How do you get it? How do your kids get it? Here's what he says. You pray. Praying is how we put on the armor. Prayer is how we get the power of God. See how they connect? Life is war. Missions is war. Prayer is war. And we fight first and foremost all of these battles on our knees, and he uses all kinds of words in the text, praying at all times, four times, all, 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 all. Do you get what he's saying? If you don't get prayer, it's all-encompassing. You cannot fight. You cannot win. You will be defeated, and your life will be ruined if you don't pray. Praying, deep dependence. I need him. You know what? What you can't go without is what you are truly dependent on. You, can, you and I cannot go without food. Some people can't go without days. I can't go without hours probably, but water. You can't go without water. You can't go without air. You can't go without sleep. Why? Because you are built dependent on it. You are. That's the physical dependencies. But you know the same truth is a spiritual reality. There are spiritual things we cannot go without without sustaining, be able to sustain life. But we try. Every day, he says, pray. Pray at all times, every circumstances. And then he kind of gives the idea, pray with others. Be able to pray with them quickly. May it be the first thing you do. I would love it at our church services, all of them, if we were talking to people and we were hearing what they were thinking and saying to us, that we would just stop right there. Let's just pray about that. Wouldn't that be a great habit? Just start praying with people. It doesn't matter where they are, in a restaurant, in the church, in the lobby, in the foyers. It wouldn't matter. Why? Because we're ready. We're ready for it. He says, if you want to persevere in the fight, that's what a term he uses, if you want to keep alert and watch so that you're ready for his attacks, you better pray. You better pray. And you better spend most of your time praying not for people who are in the crisis, but are before the crisis, before they get in, that they would understand the spirituality so that when they're actually in it, they know how to face it. He says, pray for all the saints, and then lastly, pray for me. Pray for me what? Oh, see how it gets there? Missions. Pray for me that I might speak the words, that God would put the words in my mouth, and I would speak them as I ought to, and it's the Greek word, must. See how he felt it? I cannot not speak. I have to. Do you understand the war we're in? Do you understand what's happening? If I stay silent, do you see how people will die without Christ? Do you see that? He says, pray for me that even in a prison, I'd be able to say, Jesus is Lord, even if it costs me everything. Oh, see, they all connect. All the fronts connect. Life is war. Missions is war. Prayer is war. Do we understand it? Do we grasp it? Do we live it? If so, it'll be by the power of God. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you. Thank you for the rich truths 
of this text and God's word. I pray for Nathan and Margie. As they go back to Venezuela, see, evangelism, Master, you know, it is going into the enemy's territory, and he will not like it. They are going to need every piece of your armor every day. There will be many flaming arrows, many attacks. He's going to go after their family and after their kids and their marriage. God, help them to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Oh, Lord, there's going to be setbacks and difficulties on the field, building the building, getting people to be committed to it, working hard, not being disgruntled or to complain. God, help them. Satan at times even uses people. Father, help them to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. May Nathan and Margie put on your armor every day, every day, as they get on their knees, that they might be like the divine warrior, the Lord Jesus himself. That we, like them, might be able to say as we end our lives, as Nathan said this morning, that we can say with the Apostle Paul, that I fought the good fight, I finished my course, I've kept the faith. May that be true of all of us as good warriors of the cross. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.